Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Overcome Become podcast. Uh, happy Monday, everybody. With me, as always, is my egotistical co-host, Humberto Kaufman. Um, and I just, before we begin, I want to remind you guys, if you like our podcast, whether it's on Spotify or YouTube, and you like what you see and hear, please like, subscribe, and share. It's what keeps us going. Thank you. Humberto, how are you doing today? I'm very well, man. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, for once, I actually did not just wake up half an hour ago, so I'm well prepared. Page full of notes. Me too. Really? Want to hold up your page of notes to the camera? Nah, I'm good. All right. Sorry, Let's do this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Okay, so um, title of the episode today, you didn't seem happy about it. For those that uh, haven't looked at the title that just started to listen, I said, Humberto switching to men's physique. Now, I kind of just did it to be an asshole because, I mean, well, we've been seeing a lot of jokes about calves and memes, and it's at the point where I'm just not sharing them anymore because it's getting kind of old to me. I mean, it's funny. But I, like it's to, I like to be- bully myself in that regard because I've, I respond well to that. Like if it's almost like do you ever hear about Arnold's method for himself to grow his calves? He started wearing shorts everywhere he went. So he had no choice but to look at them. And I guess he was just so unhappy and disgusted by the size that he had that it just forced him to act accordingly. And he ended up building some world-class calves. So I'm not there yet where I'm going to be wearing shorts anytime soon, but this little self-bullying and joking around or whatever that we have going on on social media actually helps me like it's you know it's all fun and games it actually it is a tool for me to actually keep that in mind and just kind of keep a little bit motivated may not work for everyone but it works for me you know what was actually nice um it was like indirect indirect not bullying but indirectly like sizing each other up was it started with me and brendan and we were just you know joking around whatever with like you know the quad shots and then you know, Harley jumped in there and then everyone started posting their big leg day lifts and then random guys started tagging Brendan and like, it got kind of far gone. I got a little bit carried away, but it was like, okay, Brendan did like the seven plates on the hack. Then I did the seven plates on the hack. Then one of us did like 10 plates on the leg press. And then Harley did 11 plates on the leg press, you know? And then it was just like a continuous cycle. And then it started motivating some other people. And I was just like, oh, that's like, cause no one really did it directly except like, you know, little inside joke of me and brendan but it was nice to see like other people like okay like i want to do it too it's like all right do it man whatever the fuck motivates you yeah That's- and in this i mean whether it's amicable or hostile uh this kind of like back and forth goes all the way to the pros i think do you see that post uh that blessing made oh, and then <laughs> and i then- guess he yeah called, uh, i think you made a comment and they started this back and forth or whatever what he called Ian a salty cunt. I was like, "What? What are you?" <laughs> I'm I like, guess whatever gonna... Ian said really, uh, really got to blessing. Uh, I think blessing took the post down because I tried to. I saw it on on another bodybuilding account, and then I tried to, you know, go into the post to see, you know, if it developed further, and it, it, I couldn't find it. But um, you know, sometimes I wonder whether it's it's legit or it's some sort of like marketing tool in which they're trying to create some sort of animosity that gets people involved and excited to kind of see him on stage i always wonder i think okay well they both came out openly 
I personally just think Nick has like a like a I don't give a fuck attitude towards like literally everybody because he's very young, very big, and he's very successful. Uh, Blessing is all about marketing and propaganda. He actually came out and said it. I don't know if you saw the, the podcast of him on uh, Fuad's page. It was probably the shortest Fuad podcast I've ever seen. It was like 35 minutes, edit after edit after edit, and the whole thing because I watched it on YouTube. So I can only imagine the things he said. Uh, <laughs> but basically it said, yeah, this is all for the purpose of driving the, the pay-per-view. That was when it was just him and Nick. I think you're going to call out number seven in the world and you haven't even done your pro debut yet. Who are you? Yeah, I mean, I guess Blessing didn't really call him out on his entire physique. He just, I guess, targeted that. The quad um, sweep. That, like, lagging body part, which <laughs> obviously hurt me as well because he was talking about his calves and, you know. <laughs> but, uh, ah, you know, it's if it serves them to get motivated, kind of like it does me to do you know, bug my own stuff with, yeah, with, yeah. With, with body parts. So be it. I'm all for it. It's just when, when it truly bugs the person where it, you know, it's a different story and it probably should not be the case. Right. So it's, it's all meant in good fun, I think. Right. But I'm just, I, sometimes I would like, I think the trolling like has like its limit, right? Like there's yeah. fun in games and jabs. And, but then like when you actually like get so irritated that you start taking posts down or, you know, you start actually, it doesn't sound like it's a joke anymore. It sounds very personal. It's like, why, why are you getting upset when you're the one that started all these things, right? And I saw Ian actually made a post where, or he, he said something along the lines of, I would do this to anyone. He's like, I'd do it to Kai Green. It doesn't bug me. And, and it's true. He has, right? Like he's, he said, who did he call? I think he called Kevin Lavroni overrated one time. Oh, man. And, and, oh, people, man. and, and, and he got roasted. <laughs> people were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? He's like, what? Yes. And it just started this whole thing. But, like, it's opinion, it's right? It's just opinion. That's the thing about bodybuilding because it it is a subjective sport by nature. So it allows a lot of opinion to, to be provided, I guess. Because, you know, when someone doesn't get first place or even if they get first place, there's always going to be that opinion. But this opinion, I think the opinions have to be taken depending on who they're coming from, right? If, if this is an opinion from someone that only saw pictures – it is not going to be as heavy and important of an opinion as from someone that was there and actually watched the real thing. Because we know that videos and pictures only go so far. And sometimes they're not even close to comparable when it comes to the, in to person. the actual in-person. Like I've ha I have clients that they look good in pictures, but then you see them in person, you're like, oh man, this is completely different to what I was expecting. Whether it, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's it's the height or just the 3D factor in, in combination with movement that you of course don't get, uh, you know, with the pictures that it's important to, 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 to understand that it makes a difference. Absolutely. So. And, and that's, that's the biggest thing. Like, uh, Y'all, I'll, I'll just mention Ian one more time, but like, let's go back to last year, you know, when he lost at Tampa Pro, arguably the worst tan you've ever seen, you know, on like a pro stage. And the guy's already very white, you know, as it is like very light skin, but the photos did him no justice. He actually looked pretty good from based off like what people had said who were actually there, like Steve Weinberger and all those judges when they go on, you know, on, um, on, on their podcast or their you know, YouTube channels and they say like, actually, like it looked pretty good. He was just a little bit off and the tan is really bad and whatever. And then all of a sudden you see better lighting at the next stage, you know, New York, for example, where he won 
Um, you see better lighting, better quality photos, and like not even the edited ones, because let's be honest, right? Like you see a stage photo and it's edited to to death. It it could take, yeah, so, it, and that's the difference that's, between in person and a photo. Absolutely, and and just kind of going back to uh, that one episode that we had with Jenna, uh, the panning is it it, does, it is a factor, and it's an important factor. Every single detail yeah. matters on show day, and I think. Um, Obviously, I have noticed that the lighting or how the physics look, it is different in at times from show to show, from stage to stage. Um, I don't know if you have you ever seen those comparisons on some of these bodybuilding uh, Instagram accounts in which they'll compare someone from the 90s and they'll compare, compare someone from the, you know, the current time. And just even right there, you could tell that the way they light, uh, the light, the background, the setup, it's different. So you can't. It almost it's looks no like it really was better at that point. It, yeah, it was better set up, I think, back in the 90s, the lighting, the background. And then you see, you know, like you see pictures of Big Grammy, for example, last year's Mr. Olympia. And, and it's almost like behind him, there's just so much light that it just makes his physique look a little bit dull in comparison. So that's something that, that I've noticed. And of course, you have no control over that when it, going into a show. But what you do have control over is every single other aspect, your posing, your tanning, and of course, the, the, the final product of the physique. But it is important to realize that, you know, sometimes, yes, the lighting is going to be a factor as well. It's, it's just your responsibility to be prepared for either hate scenario. Whatever the scenario might be, yeah. Uh, okay. So, like, so we really diverted from that original question, to be honest with you. Um, I don't even know how we went down this rabbit hole. Uh, you know, we're just, we're just having a conversation, okay. man to man, bodybuilder to bodybuilder. And it just takes you places that you don't expect. That's what she said. Um, would you ever do men's physique? Oh, okay. I guess, yeah, that was the original question. <laughs> that was the original you know what? I actually, I actually considered it um, a couple of years ago. Why? Mainly because it's something that I haven't done. Uh, I do believe that every single category, absolutely every single category has its own appeal. Uh, there's, you know, the men's physique category, in my opinion, compared to the other categories, it's like the, the beauty category, so to speak. It's a category in which you're a good looking guy. And that is something that you should definitely consider because as the overall package is taken into consideration of course your looks let's just let's just be honest you have two physiques that are very close the guy that is better looking is likely to take it because that is part of the overall package right so so what you're saying is like, if, you're, if you're a handsome guy with a six-pack you're good you should just do it well i mean it, it, of course there's more to 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 mention than I'm just joking. that but it is something that in my opinion makes a difference i mean obviously the presentation the physique itself the posing everything is going to be taken into consideration but if you have that as an added bonus that is something that is going to probably make it more likely that you perform well at those at those shows in that category uh now so i considered it and this is my i guess in my my case i considered it when i took that one in 2018 i took a year off fully from all um Super Sorry. supplements, yes. That. And, you know, of course, I was doing my best to keep up with the training, the recovery and everything, but the physique changed. The physique came down in size. Uh, it, you're just not in the same internal environment as you are when you're on these supplements. And my physique, it was still balanced, It was still, but I just didn't have the size that I had before. So I thought 
at that point in time that I could potentially do well, even if it was an open show, because I kept a fair amount of size. Uh, it was just a matter of getting into that character of men's posing and just learning it and perfecting it a little bit more. Um, mind you, men's physique, you only have very similar to the bikini. You only have two poses, your front and your back. So basically transitions and the finer little details when it comes to posing are going to have that much more of an impact, I think, because you only have two poses. So more of those transitions are going to be taken into consideration when it comes to, uh, you know, your judging and your final placing. Um, now, what prevented me from doing that is that I didn't think, based on the show that I had considered that I was doing, I didn't think personally that I would have done as well compared to who I thought was going to be my competition, right? And I just, one aspect that I really enjoyed, actually probably the most in competing is the posting. So men's physique doesn't have a posting routine. And for me, that is what took a little bit of from the, the appeal to it. I needed to have that opportunity to create a routine and men's physique just didn't have that. I mean, we got post downs now though. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. How, I, I, I haven't I made mean, the decision I mean, regarding how I feel about those now. post downs. I don't, I haven't made a decision regarding how I feel about those bikini and Mitsuzik pose down. Uh, I'm not against them, but I'm not fully for them yet. I, I haven't made up my mind. So let's I'm just. I'm not trying to be an asshole. No, I'm not. Me, me either. I'm why does a bikini category have a pose down? Like, don't get me wrong, man. Like, you got your walkout and whatever, and everyone's looking, you know, fine and whatever. But like, you want to, you know, show off that stage presence and shit. But okay. What are you going to do for 30 seconds on stage as a bikini girl? What are you going to do for 30 seconds to a minute on stage as a men's physique guy? You're going to do what? A, a front pose and then transition to the back and then front pose again, then transition well, that, to the back. That, that's just it. Like, obviously, the, uh, the time frame that you have prejudging for your individual presentation is going to be dependent on the number of poses the, the category actually has, right? That's why bodybuilding and classic physique and women's physique, those categories that have more poses, they, uh, they, at the amateur level, they provide them with... 30 seconds and i believe at the pro level it's one minute right because there's so much more you can do so there's some more so many poses not to say that you know men's physique athletes can't do classic physique poses and whatnot but it's just not it's just not the category it's just not designed to post in that uh in that manner right it's designed to post in a specific way and your options are limited when it comes to the type of posing that men's physique has that's fair um, for any bikini or wellness girl that's listening, if you guys have a pose down at the Van Dyke again, can one of you just please do a most muscular and make it a bit exciting? Just do 10 most musculars, 10 different just, variations of them. And uh, yeah, just mind just, you, I get keep in mind that the pose down is not being taken into consideration. No, it's not. You're not judges. being scored. The judging. Just, so it, you can literally do anything you want. Yeah, just, you know, have fun with you, it. A couple of you hit a front double, maybe two of you go head to head and do a most muscular, whatever. Make it exciting. Make those high heels put the work in. Do a splits. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I just, you know what? I'll leave it at that. But um, <laughs> bullshit. Uh, what's your thoughts on the third lockdown? Hmm. The potential of it. Let's and like, let's be real. It's just no political correct answer. Just be honest, please. What is my thoughts on it? But in which regard? Do you think, okay, so with Ontario already having the psychotic government that it does, um, do you think that that could translate to Manitoba? Do you think potentially, you know, we could go back into another lockdown situation? I think it's very likely. 
the way if you actually look at the pattern previously, it starts with those bigger provinces and then eventually just translates to Manitoba. So the way it's, I think people should be prepared for the possibility that yes, it is going to eventually get here. Uh, of course, that like, look, the last week or two weeks, I've had a lot of client check-ins display clear um, effects of stress because they're stressed because of the uncertainty. They're stressed because of, you know, realizing that their show may be at stake. They don't know what to do. Obviously, these are discussions that they, it depends on the individual client and what is the timeline, what is the forecast that even though we don't know much, we're trying to come up with this best case, worst case scenario and every, everything in between. Yeah. Um, but that ultimately is going to create stress, right? Of course, you know, us, for example, being in Manitoba, not being able to go to Ontario where most of the pro qualifiers are scheduled to take place. This is going to be a stress or people from you know, other provinces that uh, Ontario or Saskatchewan uh, going coming into Manitoba, you know, the two week quarantine, of course, is going to be uh, an issue because you have to find a place in which you can quarantine for or self-isolate for two weeks, but you also have to have access to some sort of, you know, gym equipment because you're not going to go the last two weeks leading up to your show without lifting, right? So that is another thing that needs to be taken into consideration when it comes to deciding what is the best course of action when it comes to these pro qualifiers or even regionals uh, this year. Yeah, very fair. I, I will, before anyone gets carried away here of what was just said, yes, it could happen. However, uh, Paul Lawson this morning had actually said that he still believes that Toronto Pro will go on scheduled. He believes that they have enough backup plans that it will still happen when it's supposed to, at least for the well, amateurs. Um, you know, we had that, uh, I had that conversation with, uh, with Ron, Ron Hash, who is the president of the CPA, uh, and along with Ryan. And Ron felt very confident that the shows were going to take place this year. They have... I know they feel terrible about what happened last year with the Toronto Pro Qualifier, which was like the last, um, the last show that was scheduled to happen, almost like the last chance for us to have in Canada Pro Qualifier. Right. And however things went down, it just didn't happen. That being said, because of that, I'm more than confident that these promoters, him and many other promoters of the Pro Qualifiers and Regionals, they have learned from last year and they are more than prepared this year for plan A all the way to Z if it's necessary. They are going to, you know, you have shows like the North Americas, which we know have thousands of competitors. Last year, they made it happen in a tent. Yep. And, and this is where, you know, people get a little bit creative because there's a little bit of loopholes when it comes to these restrictions. A tent is technically outside. Um, you know, the restrictions are slightly different than indoors at a theater or at a you know, in a, in a hotel, in a conference room or whatever. So I think they were only allowed 10 people at a time at the tent, which I think it, it meant only five people at a time in the in their callouts or in the comparison rounds and everything because you have five judges. Um, so there's ways. It, it depends on the promoter. I think if things are similar or, or somewhat close to last year, there are ways that these promoters if they're willing to do it, which I know they are, can make these shows happen. Is it going to be the same experience as you normally no. would have on a regular, a normal world? No. But you have to keep into consideration that the alternative freaking sucks. And it's having no shows then again. 
So if anyone is listening and is planning on doing a show and you're already kind of having into that mentality of complaining that you're not going to have an audience, that you're not going to have the same amount of time on, on stage, listen, this is a reality and this is way better than not having a show. So you have to remain positive and realize that the promoters are doing everything in their power to make these shows happen. It's in their best interest as well. It's in the best interest of bodybuilding in Canada, the athletes, the promoters, the sponsors, absolutely everyone. So I, I don't know if I'm just being overly positive or, or hopeful, but I, I think what Paul said is it's, it's, it's true. I think it is, there's a very decent likelihood that these shows will, have, will happen where they're scheduled. They're going to be different. There's going to be a different system. There's going to be a lot of uh, you know, obstacles that they're going to have to go over. But I think, again, where there's a will, there's a way. So I'd like to think that like, um, and, and for those that maybe don't know, if you're a new listener, Paul Lawson is a head judge for the CPA and a pro league judge. Um, I like to think that people, for example, like the North Americans promoter, like Gary Udit, would share like what you just said, how like they did it in a tent and they still had a live stream and they, they had all that. And like you said, if there's a will, there's a way, man. There's always an alternative. There's a, a gray area to everything. For some reason, you can't do any of that in Toronto. Okay, well, there's provinces around you where I'm sure you can make it work if you really want to. But again, speculation, right? If I, if it were me, if it were me and I was a promoter, like you said, plan A all the way to Z. Amr had a really good point when he was on last week, and he said, if it were me, I would put everything in Florida where it's a, you know, COVID-free restriction state, basically, right? But again, that's not actually a reality. You can't expect five, 600 athletes to fly out to Florida. But as long as you keep doing what you're doing, kind of how we talked about, you keep following your prep, don't worry about the what-ifs of what could happen. That's the reality. That's the important part. Because how are you going to stress about something that's not even in your control? You're just going to worry about it it So I like to always use the example of my own prep last year, because obviously... I can only speak for myself, but last year I prepped for nine months in total. And I changed because of the circumstances, the show that I was going to do a total of five times and it resulted with no show at all. The show ended up being canceled two days out. Uh, again, this was not the fault of the promoter. It was, it was just the restrictions and the reality that we were facing. Uh, I know they did absolutely everything they could. And it's just at the end, the government just wouldn't let it happen. Now, just self-analyzing and going back and thinking back. Remember um, last episode, Amr was actually talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is this pyramid that you know starts from your absolutely most basic needs, food, shelter, stuff like that. It goes to different levels all the way to the top, which is the most, like the highest level of need. Now, right at the top, you have those needs that are considered, they're called self-actualization. This basically means that you are at that point, once you have every single other level of needs covered, you're truly aiming to just self-improve yourself. I believe that in bodybuilding, this is very important to understand because when you're right at the top, this is basically the reason right at the top. That's what you should be shooting for when it comes to doing this sport. You're trying to become the best version that you can potentially be. The best man you can be, the best woman you can be. And anything less than that, if you're doing it because of what people think or how people perceive you, 
it's just not as strong and important as the very top. So that being said, the, the reason I mentioned this is because if you are truly doing this for the right reasons, the show is irrelevant. You're doing it for the process, for the journey, for the self-improvement. And to some people, especially if you're newbies, you might be you might be thinking, oh, this is crazy. Like, you know, you're obviously doing this because you have a goal. But yes, although it's great to have that recognition at the end of your journey by a placing or by people seeing and witnessing your work, ultimately, you should remember that you should be doing this for yourself and yourself only. It's not about the end result. It's about the journey and the process. So thinking back, when this show didn't happen. I honestly didn't really care. Why? Because in the process between uncertainty, restrictions, back and forth with James being opening, you know, James opening and closing and this and that, me having to adapt to the circumstances and that, uh, that reality that was the case last year, I, I was forced to get us. If, if this was important to me, I realized I was forced to make whatever I could happen to make, to continue my prep and do what was in my control or, or take control of what I could going forward. It didn't serve me any purpose to just be mad at the world. It didn't serve me any purpose to just be falling into a depressive state or just feel sorry for myself or think of myself as a victim. It actually served me purpose to realize that there are things that I cannot control. There are things that I can control. I chose to focus on the ones that I could control. I was able to turn my basement into pretty much a gym. Obviously, there was limitations of stock of gym equipment at first. So I slowly started building. And I realized that this might not be a possibility for everyone. But for me, it was. And, you know, we had cancellation of show or postponing of show after show after show, you know, talks and stress about the show, whether it was going to happen or not. I did my absolute best of trying to tune that out and remember why I was doing it. And I realized that the possibility of the show being canceled was a reality, but I remembered that it wasn't just about that. But when it happened, I was prepared. I had thought it out. It was two days out. I was very satisfied with how much stronger mentally I was able to become after all this bullshit and obstacles. So when it got to the finish line, I was satisfied. I was happy. I was you know, I documented my prep. I took the pictures. I'm like, I looked my absolute best, despite of the fact that I wasn't able to display it on stage. It would have been amazing. That was like originally the goal. But in my opinion, also the alternative or, or just saying, fuck it. Shows are probably not going to happen. You know, I should just stop doing this because, you know, you can th you can start thinking, oh, it's just so much money. It's such an investment. It's such stress, such effort. For nothing, right? If you think that way, do something else. This is not for you because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it for the medal. You're doing it for the trophy. You're just doing it for the perception of, of what that win is going to, to, to mean. And, and that win, really, a win, it can mean different things for different people. Well, I, was, I wanted to touch on that, actually, because you just said something very important there. And you talked about how if it's about the trophies and, you know, basically the gratification of doing it in front of people, it is kind of for the wrong reasons. And that's why when we were talking about uh, like, oh, there might be, you know, no audience or whatever for some of these upcoming events. Okay, that sucks, but who cares? You're not there for that. You're not there to show it off 
for a crowd of people. I personally, and I remember even going back to the DDC, I think I've said to people before, like, I didn't give a fuck if it was in a back lane as long as it happened. And even if it didn't happen, it's like, well, I reached my best self, both physically and mentally, because I I pushed myself through something that was incredibly difficult. Just like you just said, you were at your very best. You documented the whole thing. And that journey, that process, getting through those hardships, pushing your limitations of your body, both physically and mentally, that's honestly 10 times more valuable than a couple stage photos and a $10 trophy. Every crisis has an opportunity. Uh, I think this is also something that we touched in the last episode, and it's, it's, it's super relevant to this conversation as well. Um, think about it. In bodybuilding, when you're lifting weights, you start with a certain level of muscularity and strength, and you put yourself through tough shit, weight, breath, uh, physical stress, you know, pain, discomfort, and then you become a stronger human. This is the same case when it comes to these circumstances. Last year, it was a test either passed it or you failed it. If you passed it, or at least you did your absolute best to stay the course, to really try to overcome every single one of the obstacles that life or the situation threw at you, guess what? Now you're a stronger person. You can take more shit. You're better prepared for a circumstance of the sword or even worse. So it is also important, again, to remember this. It's not just for the trophy. It's for at the end, what you can, because the trophy, I mean, it's a great representation of, of, of the hard work, but what do you actually take, you know, with yourself? And it's actually the overcoming of the obstacles. That is something that you carry, that you're going to be able to carry along for the rest of your life in similar situations as well. And there's something that is incredibly valuable. Uh, it's a skill, it's, it's something that it's, not, of course, not easy. But if you're able to push through and you're able to realize that staying the course and really trying to surpass these obstacles, if you realize that how important that actually could become to your own self-development, that is, I think, where you've won, regardless of whatever happens with the show. That's, whether that's you get your victory. That's the victory itself. You know? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I think anyone who accomplishes a prep and, and you know, if, if you could look yourself in the face or look, look in the mirror and look at yourself and say, you know what? I did my absolute best. Even if you had a couple bumps along the way, but you finished it, that's the accomplishment. That's the victory. You know, like the medal, whether it's top three or whatever, right? Like that's the cherry on top. It's a nice little thing that goes on the wall or your shelf or whatever. And it's a nice little reminder of what you accomplished. Right. But it's the growth you see from, you know, the start to the finish. That is the real you know, takeaways, the real lessons, because you're applying it not only to the gym, but your life as well, right? Again, it's not for everybody, but when you do it and you experience those things, you will grow from it. You will mature from it. You will value things so much more that you didn't before it. But I can only speak for myself, I think. And and again, when it came to my own experience last year in assessing the, 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 the situation and just coming up with a plan, what I was going to do in my mind, quitting or stopping doing what I was set out to do. It was just not an option. Um, the alternative was not an option. The alternative in my eyes and in my, in my mind was what? So because of the circumstance, I'm going to stop prepping and say, fuck it and start eating whatever I wanted and get all like, in a very bad situation you're not that's not going to make you happier you're going to basically really dislike 
yourself. You're going to be hating the world. You're going to be hating your life. You're going to be disappointed, disappointing yourself, whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, and then if the show actually happens, it's going to be even worse for you, man, because you that's when you're going to really realize what you sacrificed because you you made a decision based on fear. That is my opinion. That's what, that's the reason I chose to. And it was thousands of dollars of an investment in a prep. I was prepared for that. I made a conscious decision of going through. At the end of the day, I didn't care because what I got out of it, it was priceless. I, that's exactly it. Also, I don't know of any prep that would be cheaper than a couple thousand bucks. Just uh, throwing that out there to anyone. Yeah, whether you're natural or you're enhanced or, it's, you, you know, it's, it's, that's, you know, female, they had to spend so, like thousands of, thousands of dollars in their, in their, in their suits and bikinis, right? They, that that alone? Prepping is expensive. Yeah. That alone. Hey, let's just ballpark it here. What's your grocery bill like just for you when you're on prep? Do you have a, do you have a guesstimate? When I'm on prep? It's actually not bad. Um, per week? Uh, 200 on the average per week. To us, that doesn't sound bad. You know, to the average person, they think we're fucked, right? No, because they only see that's the, you know, the supermarket bill. But then when you actually add up your skip the dishes bill, then it really matches that or surpasses. It. Oh, actually, you know, come to think of it, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good you point. have a, you know, you have an outing or even if it's skip the dishes or whatever, that Uber Eats or for people perhaps listening in the States. Do we actually have Uber Eats in, in Winnipeg? No, well, a- I'm talking about like non-Winnipeg, non-Canada potentially, okay. but that that equivalent, that service or whatever, every single time, like, even if it's just for yourself, it's going to be like 40 bucks. And if you have one cheating like that per week, that's what, 160 bucks additional, 160 potential all the way to 200 additional to your grocery bill. So that pretty much puts it back to par with, and if you're the type of person that has like a lot of Starbucks or a lot of Tim Hortons or whatever, that's also if you have been every day seven bucks a day that adds up as well are, are you are you like attacking me in the off season right now like you know if the shoe fits put it on cinderella fuck you fuck God. listen here princess yeah, do some yeah. more calf raises okay <laughs> um anyways <laughs> i like starbucks i like the mortons and my bill at five guys is like normally like 30 bucks. Yes. So that's why yeah. I said that. It's, it's exactly. a lot. <laughs> Yo, man, it's because that grilled cheese bun shit, you know, like they used to charge you an extra like seven bucks or something. Now it's not, now they don't do it. Now it's like included for free, but like before that shit added up quick. Lately, I've been having a lot of, a lot of Mexican food. I don't know if it's just me missing home, but you're on taco kick. Yeah, I'm on a taco kick. Yeah. In, in Winnipeg, I don't know if you've, you've tried BMC tacos. Uh, there's one in Henderson and one, I think, in Marketplace. Uh, those are pretty good, man. Like the corn tortilla that they have. Is that the is that the old like JC's Tacos on Henderson? No, 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 no. JC's Tacos, JC's Tacos is good, but I think it's a little overpriced. Uh, BMC Tacos, that's a little bit further down on Henderson, closer to... Okay. Uh, closer to your place? Yeah, the Chief Pegasus and whatnot. You ever... Uh, I don't know, like, do Mexican people eat pupusas? We know about them. I love them. We, we know of them, but we don't fuck with them. No, no, no. We, I, I love them. Matt, Matt, honestly, like, and I guess it's okay because we're, we're Spanish, right? To say it, because if not, it would sound incredibly racist. But the best Spanish food that you could possibly get is if you find, like, the most ghetto Spanish church in Winnipeg, go into the basement on a Sunday and just buy a plate for, like, two bucks. We have this saying in Mexico, like, the more ghetto the neighborhood the more delicious the tacos that's just that's it's, just how it's it works. Just true man <laughs> oh 
I, I miss those days. I miss the pre-COVID days where you could just walk into like, you know, the most ghetto looking house and be like, here's 10 bucks. And they just hand you a bag of food. And you're like, yes. If yes, you're currently I'm prepping, just fast forward this section. <laughs> the amount of grease that comes off one tortilla is insane. Yeah, I know. Like you would need, you literally need to triple bag it because you could just see it dripping out the bottom. Yeah. I mean, but it just means it's delicious. <laughs> Going back a little bit to, to the book you know, <laughs> qualifier, let's just, we're getting a little bit sorry, sorry. Um, So For example, yourself, you're doing the, we're, we're shooting to doing the Toronto Pro Qualifier August 20th. What is your current, and you can be completely honest, what is your current mindset regarding everything what's happening with Ontario or the other provinces and the potential scenarios that may play out closer to the show? How are you currently feeling? How do you approach the current situation as an athlete this year that is prepping for his first pro qualifier. So to be completely transparent with you, the way that I've been looking at things initially, probably about a month ago, and I think I expressed it to you pretty well. I was very stressed out. I was stressed. I'm not anymore, but I was stressed out because I thought to myself, this is going to be the same like last year where the show's going to happen. Then it's not going to happen because it gets canceled, then postponed, and then a new date, and then postponed again. And I thought to myself, I was like, fuck, I can't keep doing this because last year was a huge, it was like what, like basically nine months of prepping, you know, from January all the way to October. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, you know what? For at first, I was like, I don't want to do this again. Like so much of my, my year was committed to it, but it was also the year where I saw the most growth. Now I kind of, for a lack of sounding cliche, I did some soul searching on it. And I thought to myself, well, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's, Toronto or North Americans, because that's kind of why I said like 18 and 20 weeks, because I was like, you know, whether it's Toronto or North Americans or Olympia Amateur, which is all within three weeks of each other, or the Mexico Super Show, like I'm determined to make that appearance on a national level show. And and now it's not like I've had people say to me, I, I have had people say to me, like, oh, like, don't you think you're getting a little ambitious, you know, after doing one show and then immediately after doing a national? And I'm like, I don't know. Is that how you felt? And, and, I'm, a, and I'm, I'm an asshole about about, it about you or about me doing my first. No, no, no. I've had people say that to me. Right. So I, yeah. and my response is, is that how you felt? Gotcha. Because you didn't place very well. Like, mm-hmm. I, and, and this all correlates, right? Like, because I don't have to give a fuck mentality. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, whatever happens, happens. As long as I know I did everything possible that I executed the plan that you give me, then whatever happens is fine with me, right? So now that I've thought about it in this perspective and I'm like, well, you know, it's all about maximizing the results from the prep. I have no stress anymore. I have my equipment at home. I have enough plates where I could keep getting stronger, keep putting on size. Cardio, it's fine. We're in spring, man. Mm -hmm. I'll fucking slap on two sweaters and go outside and get it done. I don't give a shit. But not everyone is built the same way. And I'm not saying that to toot my horn. I'm saying that because when you really accept that you are not in control of the situation, but you are in control of the things you can do, your mindset will change. And that's how I am now. I'm just like, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not stressed anymore. Whether it's a national show or there's no travel or I just end up doing a photo shoot after or I just have the photos from doing my check-ins, I'm fine with it. But it's because I've accepted the realization of, these are the potential outcomes. Not everyone's going to do that. Some people might be, some of your clients, I don't know, or other people's athletes might be blowing up their coach's phone saying, oh, what do you think? I just saw this in the news. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. think it might still happen? 
And that's a normal thing. That's fine. If that's how you feel, that's fine. The anxious mind is a dangerous thing. The more anxiety that you have, the more problems you create for yourself. So it's kind of just like, I don't know, man. For me, like I'm good now. I was stressed out a month ago. Now I'm just like, fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. Either way, I'll do the best that I can and the chips can fall where they may. I'd like to um, make a comment kind of building on a little bit you said earlier. If you're a competitor that has done perhaps only one regional and you're wondering whether you should do a pro qualifier, I think you should consider the following. There's so many factors that can play out at a pro qualifier. I've seen, because a lot of people think unless you win the overall, you shouldn't do a pro qualifier. And there's some other people that think, uh, you know, unless you get first place in your class, you shouldn't do a pro qualifier. I've seen scenarios in which a person that gets the overall win in a category goes ahead and does a pro qualifier and they get second call out, third call out. Not very, very good because sometimes that doesn't really mean anything. It's a matter of the mix that they encounter at the pro qualifying level. And there, I've also seen people that they were short to winning the overall. They get first place in their class and then they get their pro card, pro card in the pro qualifier. And I've seen people that you know, for whatever reason, perhaps they don't really perform as well. They get third place in their in their class and then they go ahead and do, they do their pro qualifier and then they win their class. So there's a lot of factors to, to take into consideration. You know, did you look your absolute best at the, at the regional or is there that you take notes and you learn a couple of things that, you, that can potentially bring you at a much better level for your next show? You know, pro qualifier, of course, is the best of the best, the country or internationally. These shows are very high level. You have people that have been doing the same show for years, really knocking on the door of becoming a pro and just they're just ready to at the, to be at that level, of course, or, or to potentially turn pro. The level is going to be very high, but it is important to also understand that unless you set yourself with that, with such a goal, and start to aim higher, it's very unlikely that your mindset and your actions are going to get to that level. So I think if there's only one way of really knowing how are you going to, how are you going to place or how it's going to pan out. And that's just by doing it. Like you it, be prepared for being, for being dead last, be prepared for potentially doing, doing better than you thought. Like it's just, it's again, it's not really about the placing. It's about making that decision and what that decision is going to entail and what that decision is going to how that is going to transform you physically and mentally because now you're aiming for higher now you're breaking that glass ceiling that you had previously as to what was your best efforts you break that because you're shooting for higher you can't be doing the same you have to shoot higher to get higher so that would be my note or comment if you're a first-time competitor because and it also depends on the person because there are some people that just they just have a hard time believing in themselves as well i there are people that you know, in my opinion, having looked at many physiques, worked with many athletes, there's, there are people that I know they can do really well at the first regional, and they may think, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm ready. They're too hard on themselves. And there are people that are a little bit on the other side of the, of the coin. They're a little bit too, they're not as down to earth, let's just say. They, they think they are farther ahead than they actually are. So you have the two scenarios right you have to and, and again the only way of really knowing is to actually bring your best put, put yourself through the process and and, and and step on stage if that is something that happens um and that's how you you know really how you stand against the best in the country 
I, I think the biggest takeaway, man, is like, if you're going to do it, you just need to have the mindset of you need to train like you're going for first. You need to look at everything calculated as if you're going to win, but be understanding of whatever placing you get is whatever placing you get. So you don't absolutely just, you know, beat yourself up after the fact, right? Because that's the reality. I mean, we could use your example, you know, the way I viewed it, when you went to Toronto, it was like, you're quite a bit ahead. And this is my opinion, whether it's yours or not, you're quite a bit ahead from everybody else in the overall. And then Kim was just a couple levels ahead. So it was like, you had all these guys over here and then you, and then Kim had Kim not shown up. Who knows how it would have played out. Right. And this is a good way of saying, you don't know until you actually are there, what could happen, but how do you get there? Well, you need to train your fucking ass off. Like you're going to actually win. So you could show your best and give yourself the best opportunity because if you don't and you half-ass it, then what the fuck was the point in the first place? Yeah, I, I think this is also um, something that it's important to keep in mind, especially if it's your very first show because you may think you're kind of going into it blind. You don't know. You haven't really experienced the process and seen it all the way to the end. So you, your your concept and, and, and definition of your best and, and, and hard work is going to be only limited by your current experiences. And, and it's, it's always when you step on stage and you really see how you looked, how you compared against other people that you're competing against, in which you realize, hmm, there's a lot of room for improvement. There's a lot, I know there's a lot more I can do. So that becomes your, 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 your standard, your benchmark that you're trying to kind of beat um, going forward. But when is your first time and it's a regional show and you're really unsure, you might, for whatever reason, allow yourself your own self deviations from the plan. You might, you know, add this, add that, because you may think that you're doing well, but ultimately you should listen to what the coach is telling you, not just yourself, especially if you have an experienced coach that has, you know, competed at a higher level or coach athletes at the higher level. Uh, you know, that is, that is your, your eyes going into uh, the end of, of, of the process. Right. So yeah, it's, it's important to remember that you should consistently review again over and over your definition of hard work and your definition of what's your best, because yes, in a sense, it is you versus you, but also you're going against a bunch of people that are trying to win too. So you have to keep both into consideration. Don't take too much into consideration what other people are looking like, what their starting point is like, what they're currently doing, but almost keep it as a, as a guide as to whether you are pushing your best or you're pushing yourself to the very best you could potentially get to. Because when it's starting to do, to do the opposite of serving you, you're starting to put too much pressure, pressure on yourself. You're starting to get demotivated because someone else might, might, might be ahead or looking a little bit better in your eyes, whether that's a reality or not. You know, that's when comparing yourself to others is really not a good idea, right? But also if you're only focusing on yourself and you haven't really looked at what the competition may look like, you might just be assuming it is good enough. Maybe sometimes looking at the competition may force you to realize that you can do a little train a little bit harder, go a, a little bit harder at it. So keep both in mind, but only as long as they serve you the purpose of helping you become a better version. Well, there's, I was going to say that 
um, sometimes that can be taken out of context and make somebody obsess too much as well. Uh, before we switch gears, I was just actually, I was going to, I was going to say like, even in my workplace, when it comes to, you know, training new supervisors, new managers, whatever, I always think to myself, and I relate it back to this. I always think, okay, someone's definition of hard work, that is that person's perception. And I always value when I get to train with you because it remind it humbles me and it reminds me that I can keep going that much further. I could push that much harder. There's that much more in the tank. So why I bring that up is if someone says, well, I worked my ass off. I did everything I could. No, you worked your ass off to what you think your limitation is. But let me kindly remind you that your limitation, that is your perception because of which your coach is actually there with you you will find new levels that you didn't think you had. So something to for everyone to know is when you get yourself to that point of exhaustion, you're like, oh man, that's it. That's good. That's good for that set. No, that's not fucking good for that set. Because I guarantee you, you had probably four or five more with good form, even if you were struggling to get it up. One of the biggest things, and, and this is one last example. I was training quads one day and one of the Atlas guys was there. And even though like he was just in the room, Kim kind of giving me that push, that verbal push, all of a sudden the weight felt lighter almost because my mindset changed. And I'm like, you know, I don't give a fuck if this guy's like a hundred pounds heavier than me. Like I'm almost as strong. I can keep up. And then it was like butter one after another, after another. And I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, this just proves something to me. No matter how hard I thought I was working, I could work way fucking harder. And yeah. this, this just reinstated that I was correct in that thinking. People underestimate what the right mindset and level of focus can actually create or make happen in a session. Um, I've noticed this very clearly. And I noticed this difference. If I go into the session just thinking about other things other than bodybuilding and, you know, whether it was clients or the show that I'm promoting or whatever, other things in my life. If I drive to the gym thinking about that, the level that I'm going to be able to bring out for my training session is going to be lower than if I drive to the gym starting to do that mental prep, mentalizing about what I'm about to do, visualizing what that discomfort is going to feel like almost like it's a it's it's a warm-up mentally before you actually get your first warm-up sets and once you start to really go through the motions and start to visualize and realize that in order for you to get what you need to what you want to get out of the session a lot of discomfort is going to take place once you realize that you start to think okay i'm not going to be satisfied until and unless i get to that very high level of discomfort but it's going to be very hard to get to that point if you just get to the gym and your mindset is just like you just turn it on right before your first set. Even if you tried, it's likely to not happen to the degree as to doing some mental work prior to your session is going to do. And again, this is something that most people probably don't do or don't realize, but the higher the level you go, your training sessions are, they just need to be that much more precise. They need to be intentional. Every single thing you do, every single thought you have needs to be in line with the ultimate goal of bringing your absolute best 
day after day. So realize this, and I think this will change your prep. This will change the outcome. This will potentially change your life because if you transfer that approach to everything you do, you're better prepared mentally to bring out the best that you could potentially have. That is, is there, is there somewhere, but it's probably dormant and it will remain dormant until you get to that level of mentality. That's very good. I actually like that. I'm going to call this episode pressure is a privilege. And it is. And, and, and there are going to be, there's going to be situations too in which so you're prepping and you realize, you know, if I'm moody, if I'm irritable, or if I'm really trying to get the best out of the session, the people around you, they, they're not at fault. You know, it is your decision, of course. But at the same time, you have to set boundaries when it comes to people talking to you, uh, boundaries when it comes to people distracting you from, I personally, if I am, I finished the set. I'm starting to think about the next set. I remain in character. I remain in that mindset because you shouldn't break that train of thought. And when someone comes and asks you a question or starts to ask you or just make small talk or whatever, you don't want to be rude. But at the same time, you have to realize that if your goal is important to you, you have to find a way to prevent this from happening. And it is hard as a coach as well. Like, I'll have people ask me about my services or have a bodybuilding question. I try to be as welcoming as I can. And I try to get that or do that as much as I can in the off season because, because when it comes to prep, you know, you can see the change in behavior and the change of attitude. And, and, and again, I really don't try to be rude, but this is something that is incredibly important to me. So anything that I see as an obstacle from the goal that I'm visualizing, I'm going to move past no matter what. And if that means coming across unintentionally as disinterested in the conversation or not or distracted or potentially even rude, unfortunately, so be it. I will never go to a point in which I'm going to be go out of my way to be rude. But listen, like one, one thing that I do literally, someone is talking to me. Tune them out, let them talk, and I start my set. Even if they ask me a question, I'm in my set. More often than not, they realize, yeah, he's in his own world, and I'm just talking to myself at this point. They walk away. That is preferable than you saying something rude or just like, don't talk to me or whatever the case may be. It's what I actually, that is my method. I just start my set, and I don't, it doesn't really matter what they're saying. I just start my set and stop listening. Why? Because Sooner than later, they're going to realize that you, you're not there to talk. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you should affect your relationships. You should not talk to people or whatever. But we, when you're at the gym, you have to realize that every single time you step at the gym, it's an opportunity for you to get closer to the ultimate best, higher version of yourself. So if you're not, if you're doing anything you do that is deviating from that vision, you should reconsider or find a way to, for that not to be the case. Well, that's that's the biggest thing. Um, I can't speak for you, but I will say off observation for us. I know we're we're two very easygoing people, and I find when it comes to the off season or the off season, the one so far that I had, uh, very sociable. If someone comes to talk to me, no problem. I'll sit there, I'll stand up for you, I'll talk to you for like 10, 15 minutes, whatever. If it's not a time slot, just make that clear. But now it's 
man, if I come off rude and I don't say hi, hi to you, like if I don't go out of my way to be like, hey, how's it going? It's because my headphones are on. I'm there to work. If you think I'm being a jerk, I apologize. I've And I've had it. I've had people be like, you, you what, you're too cool to say hi? No, it's not that I'm too cool to say hi. It's I have X amount of time. My mindset is somewhere already. I've mentally prepared myself for what I need to accomplish in this time frame to get the most out of it. So if I don't stand there and I'm like, hey, how's it going? It's not because I'm going out of my way to come off cold to somebody. Man, I got shit to do. The goal is bigger than having a yeah. small conversation with you. And it's not to yeah. be rude. It's like, I'm sorry. This, this is what I'm training my fucking body for. You know? One little tip that I've picked up over the years. And I actually learned this from uh, Dura, who coached me at one point. If someone asks you, if, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, you look great. Are you doing a show? Say no. You have to say no. Because if you say yes, that oh conversation is going yeah. to. And, and one thing that people don't realize is you are, you are thinking nothing but prep. And when you're close to a show, when someone asks you about prep, it, it, it's, it just gives you this feeling of, I just don't want to talk about this. Because that's all I've been thinking, and that's all I have to think. And again, you're trying not to be rude, but these are. And another thing you have to realize, and people don't understand, is your energy budget when you're closer to a show. Oh, it diminishes there, so. Oh, and and, yeah. and people may think this is so silly, but this is true. Your energy conversations that are like small talk meaningless conversations take a lot of energy out of you believe it or not and you, this is something you don't realize until you're really digging deep when you have that sunken in face if you're doing bodybuilding or classic physique even men's physique when you have very little body fat in your face and you have that death faith you have very limited energy you have energy to just get your training done prep your meals and you know do your job at your you know at your work whatever it is that you do anything that is outside of that you have zero interest you have zero energy and again this is why as you do more and more preps you find ways of not coming across rude and dealing with these feelings of irritability and being very tired uh it is a skill just like with everything else uh i'm still working on it but Again, I don't want, I never want to come across as rude, but when it comes to that situation, sometimes you have no choice but to act in a way that could be misinterpreted as you're trying to be rude. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help people out here. It's very obvious who's on prep and who's not, unless you're one of those people that keeps it very quiet and hidden, okay? So if you see someone who's on prep at the gym and you know they're like 16, 12, 8, 6 weeks out, like, you know, they're working very, very hard and they probably don't have a lot of patience. Maybe they do have a lot of patience. I don't know. Everyone's different. Treat it like the memes you see about approaching a girl at the gym. Just don't do <laughs> it. Just don't do it. If you want to say what's up, wave. Or yeah, you could be like everybody else and be like, hey, saw you at the gym. Didn't want to bug you. Looking good. Whatever. If, if that's what you want to do. Just don't bother somebody, especially on the time slot. Well, especially if you have reason to believe that they're a serious competitor, right? Even if, it, if it's their first show and they, they really think to be taking it seriously, that's, that's probably not going to go well. I'm almost feeling like we should make shirts of some sort that give people warnings, whether it's like a number that tells you how many weeks out you are 
or just a message. Because if you see a four, it's time to not engage with that person. I have a leg day shirt. It says the trend made me do it. <laughs> no, but but that could be awesome <laughs> too. I'm talking about like a shirt that has some like even if it's a long explanation that just saves you the conversation. I think that's gonna help a lot of people, man. It sounds just funny, put, put it on the back. Prep mentality. Yeah, just big, 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 big I'm, not, I'm not trying to be rude. Nah, 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 nah. Just like the whole explanation, if they want that. Something that will help people. It's actually been on my mind. I think it would potentially save you a lot of unwanted conversation. Here to, here to work, not to talk. Something, yeah. Something something Pre- straightforward. W- yeah, proceed with care. I don't know, low patience. I saw, actually, I saw one shirt. Approach with uh, caution. Yeah, 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 proceed with caution. I saw a shirt. <laughs> it basically said patient, and it said, like, you know, like the battery symbol from a from a phone, just very low battery. Oh, like the, red, actually, the red line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, let's switch gears a little bit because, man, that was that was good, though. That was really good. I really hope people actually listen to that part. Don't bug me. Um, how do you feel <laughs> when someone you used to coach starts their own coaching business? Okay. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so that's a very Ooh. good question. Elephant actually, in the room. One of my, <laughs> one of my <laughs> clients, Nicole, she, uh, she asked this question to me and I thought it was a very good question uh, because this happens very often and different people take it or approach it in different ways. Um, I used to approach it the wrong way, I think, when I was new to it. And I would almost take, not offense, but I would take it, I think it was because I, was, I wasn't as confident in my abilities. I, was, I didn't really have a set meaning to why it was that I was doing this. And my current approach to this situation is I'm perfectly fine with it. And, and I actually love it. Why? Because I like to believe that I am a source of information that is honest, somewhat advanced. I uh, nowhere near close to, you know, the top tier of the professional knowledge of coaching and whatnot. Eventually I will get there. But when I speak and I speak honestly, it's, it comes from a place of experience after doing 15, 15 shows myself, you know, training for longer than that, longer than I started training in 04. So whatever that would be, um, you know, I've been coaching for a number of years. I've worked with hundreds of athletes. So it's, it comes from a good place in, in, a, in a place of experience. So even if this knowledge that I am relaying to other people, get transferred as well by these people starting their own online uh, coaching business or whatever. Right now, I'm very happy for it. If I'm, if I'm able to make someone confident enough to create an, 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 or, or I, I see myself as, as having done a good job if, if working with me made them love the sport so much or even more that they want to continue doing that and almost do what I, what I do. Right. Um, now, obviously some of the information, if you're just copying it without really understanding it, you're not really going to serve your client base. Well, you have to understand it before you actually, you have to really be comfortable with it before you actually, you know, um, provide it to your clients, because if you're just kind of copying without, you know, rhyme or reason, and you just relay in it, you just change the font or whatever, you just, you know, repeat a conversation that we had, then that's just not the way of approaching it. If you learned enough that you it really sunk in and you really feel confident with it, you know what? I realized that the reason I, I do what I do when it comes to coaching is to spread good information 
if I can make the sport better, give people positive experiences when it comes to bodybuilding. And even if, if something I say, even if I don't get paid for it, it's taken into consideration by, by someone and that changes their training, that changes their life. I'm more than happy with it. That is the ultimate reason I do this. If I can be a catalyst for success for other people or a catalyst for information, I'm very happy with it. I, I, I feel like I, I, I've done my job. Whereas before I would be like taking it the wrong way or they're just probably just copying my information, you know? And, and I, I even have clients currently that I'm coaching that are coaches themselves. And previously I would be like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to withhold certain information because I don't want them to have that much information, right? Right now I'm like, you know what? If I can help you, you know, make a living and I can help you make, uh, you know, better athletes or have people reach their goals. That is, again, once I realized that that was the reason, I was all for it. Uh, even if I don't get the credit, it doesn't really matter. I know that I am doing what I want to do. Uh, again, it is a privilege to do what we do, to basically make a, a living out of something that we're passionate. It's not really work. It's something that you just enjoy doing and you're you're getting paid for. It's just, it, it really is a blessing as as cliche as you may sound I, I i'm really seeing it more and more every day the more i do this the more i get to work to, with people and of course you know not being in prep uh helps because when you're in prep you, you know the, the perception may be distorted and and, and and you know change a little bit but right now you know not prepping and and, and i have this clarity of thought in mind that i really enjoy and and, and and that's this is now when I'm really realizing a lot of things about myself, about why it is that, that I do things. So if you're thinking about coaching, um, just make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, not because you think it's a quick buck, that it's a, a, a easy and quick way of, you have to realize you have to put in the work. Even if you don't know as much in the beginning, stay to your, stick to your guns. Don't take more or something that is beyond your, your current knowledge, knowledge or even scope of practice just because you're trying to get that paycheck in. Just stay, stick to, to what you know. If you put the effort, regardless of your level of knowledge, this is going to pay off. People are going to be happy with your service and they're going to talk well about your service and that is going to result in more and more clients. But if you, you have to like what you do because if you don't, people are going to realize that and they're not going to be happy with your service. You're probably going to provide a service that is less than than optimal and you just people are not going to return to you well and that's the biggest thing so i guess this brings me to another question i saw this question asked to a different group of people but i'm curious what your opinion is what's your opinion when somebody does one show let's say they just absolutely do horribly in the show or i don't know they play top five but they don't win not that it really matters but it's just it's a, it's a funny series of events. They do one show and then they become a coach. No certification, no knowledge. Just they just uh, do it. Well, it's that's where you see the the motivation for people to do it, right? If they don't really have enough, clearly they don't have enough background. They haven't done it enough. They haven't learned enough for themselves. It's very unlikely they're going to be able to help people and. Again, social media is very tricky because you can you can make yourself look a certain way. Um, 
the reality is though like it used to bug me a little bit but it doesn't because i've come to realize that the people that do it for the wrong reasons very quickly as quickly as they enter the industry as they're out they exit, they're out because they just don't have it they don't have the knowledge they don't have the passion they don't, they don't have the um they don't really enjoy what they're doing and and they realize ah this is not for me or even if they really make an effort of getting clients if they don't have their base of themselves of really loving the sport and doing it for the right reasons the clients are just not gonna you may get a few clients they're gonna leave they're gonna realize that there are people better prepared more knowledgeable more knowledgeable more passionate and you're just eventually going to realize that this is not for you um this happens very often and it is because the industry is very unregulated there's no body that uh you know regulates this or prevents you anything that prevents you from becoming an online coach uh, there's a lot of really easy certifications. I think you said something like hard pill to swallow. Having a certification just means that you pass an open book test. So and honestly, I, I, I laugh because it's so true. Like it's it, I man, like it, literally it definitely makes you more prepared than if you didn't have it, but you can have all the certifications that you want, but experience is going to be what it's going to make the difference when it comes to your success. Uh, obviously, at the beginning, you're not going to have experience because you just haven't done much. But you have to really document everything, be a critical thinking and realizing what works, what doesn't, and continuously reassess and revise your processes. Well, that's the biggest thing. Like, if I, if, if I, if, if I like were to go back years now, right, prior to me and you, and have the knowledge that I do now and I was seeking a coach, I'd be like, Show me your books. Show me your notebooks. Show me how many people you've helped. Let me see the notes so I actually know that you're legitimate. Now, it's a little bit different, right? Obviously, because me and you, we have quite the bond and whatever, and your body work speaks for itself. But if it was somebody who I didn't know, who I didn't know of any of their history of clients, I'd be like, okay, let me see the books, man. I'm like, don't worry. I got my nutrition certificate over there, too. I got one, too. It was very easy to get. Three booklets. Write it out. Do the test. It's not hard. Anyone can do it. Yeah. But my point is, it's less like, man, like, unless, like you said, like, unless you have the knowledge to back it up, the only people that you're going to get are people that don't do their research. And maybe and you are a good coach. Maybe you are a good coach and I'm just being an asshole, but, but <laughs> you need you the know what? to back it's, it up. Mo most people don't do the research and that's exactly right. They basically, the research extends as much as they ask their friend, Hey, you're with that coach. What do you think? Pretty good. Okay. Hired. And whereas that, that one person may be in the same situation, maybe that person as this one other person, what do you think of this coach? Pretty good. When you don't have anything to really compare against, it's very hard to really make an informed decision, but there is enough information out there. Um, again, especially if it's, if you're new to the process, if you're new to hiring a coach or whatever, you don't really think into it too much. You just basically say, well, I, this is the only person that I know that is a coach I am here in the he's a decent coach, he or she, let's go for it. Eventually they realize in some cases, in some, in, in some cases they nail it right off the bat. But in some cases, they're also like, hmm, this doesn't really make sense. Hmm. Mind you, if you're with a coach, don't be comparing the, the, the process of the coach to other processes or methods of other coaches. Like that's that's where you are going to mess up too. You have to, if you hire a coach, that's why doing the research is so important because once you make the decision, you have to be 100% certain that this is a person you can trust. So you trust them because if you don't, if you start to, you know, take 
information from another person or information from the internet or information from what you saw that a pro is doing, you're going to start getting inconsistent information that is only going to drive you crazy and that is going to, it's not going to end up well. Can we talk about that for one minute? I know, <laughs> apologies to the people that are listening because this is going to be a long episode when we plan for 45 minutes. Um, I want to talk about that for one second because if you don't trust your coach and you question everything, what was the point of hiring that person? Now, it's one thing to ask because you want to understand for yourself. Like, if you want to understand why change was made, why certain compound, whatever, absolutely. I think everyone should do that because why are you just going to put something in your body if you don't know what the purpose of it is, right? But, but when you start questioning every single little thing, over and over and over and repeatedly and you disagree and then you ask another coach for their opinion then you ask another guy from the gym what they think well then what was the point to begin with because you don't trust the person you're not going to see the maximum results you're actually probably going to fail whatever you're doing because now you've already it's not even second guessed it you've thought it over 10 different times and asked for 10 different opinions and you know what it's there's so many things to consider and talk about in this particular topic one of them is also like I do believe that there are people that are that they they start to justify why they don't want to do the approach of their coach as well. If the approach of their coach is seemingly a little bit more, especially if you're a competitor, they're seemingly a little, a little bit more strict than this one other coach. For example, let's say your coach doesn't believe in cheat meals, which is one approach, uh, and let's say your friends coach you know you're both trained for the same show but you have two different coaches your other the other coach has their client having a cheat meal every single day not day sorry every single week that would be, that would be ridiculous every <laughs> single week or every other week or whatever right yeah now are you considering the other approach being better because of the cheat meals because it's something that is going to make you suffer a little bit less or is going to be less restrictive you have to reassess what is what it, why it is that you're thinking this way because if you're just starting to justify not trusting your coach because it's a harder approach that is something to be that is something to be thought about because it's it's not it's not the right reason to not trust your coach especially if you haven't seen it through and especially if you haven't seen what that approach actually does uh, when it, in terms of the end result. So that's why, you know, social media or, or having, you know, these many coaches, different approaches or whatever, that's why it's so confusing, I think, to a lot of people. Um, and, I, and listen, I've had clients that they work with me, they consider, they, they've even called my approach old school because it's too strict. And, and it's fine, you know, they, you're, you're entitled to your wrong opinion, just kidding. Um, <laughs> They've called it old school. They've called it too strict or whatever. And they go, they, they leave and they go to uh, an approach that is a lot less rest restrictive for competitive. For competitive. Uh, perhaps they have either a macro approach only in which you have more flexibility and, and then you have a chill every week, whatever. In a couple of cases, they realize that's not the right approach to actually bring your best. They realize, oh man, I guess you actually have to suffer to do well in bodybuilding, right? They weren't, they were, they weren't progressing. Their physiques were just not looking the same. They didn't place as well, in, in, you know, on stage. So, um, there, and also there's a difference between being too strict and too restrictive, where it's just not optimal. You're just not feeding your body enough. You're just not giving your body enough nutrients. You're 
mental clarity is being affected, your mindset is being affected. So you have to consider both sides of the coin. Um, But yeah, it is very interesting because as a first time competitor or someone, you have to do your research and do your research as much as you can. And even then you might not nail it the first time, but at least you have more than enough reason to believe that the person you hired is trustworthy. I think that first prep is a trial run really, right? Like everyone, you know, for the coach, the coach is learning the athlete's body and seeing how they respond to certain things. And for the athlete, they're learning as long as, so, I mean, you have to have that faith in your coach. You're learning how well you guys actually work together. Right. So there's a lot of things that have to be considered on both sides. And like you said, like you, you might not nail the first one. Chances are you probably won't. I think anyway, but you will see if it is productive, if you guys actually work together or not. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't, whatever, at least you tried, but yeah, you, you have to do some research. You are responsible. You can't turn around and blame somebody if they give you poor, if if you get poor results, when you didn't do any of the research yourself to actually look into if that's a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess that comes back to accountability, but no, I just, the, the cheat meal thing I find funny. Um, I don't really give a shit about cheat meals. Sometimes I joke around and I post a bit, oh, craving sushi, but like man, sushi's just good. I like food. doesn't mean that I'm sitting there like, oh, Humberto, I need a cheat meal. I don't think I've ever actually pitched to you once about wanting food because it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, man. Food at this point is just a, it's a, it's a fuel. It's something that gives me energy and I get it done, but not everyone looks at it like that. I yeah. had a coach. I, I had a coach. I won't say who last summer was like hey so like does humberto give you guys cheat meals and i was like uh no but like I don't, i've never asked for one really i'm like whatever oh my clients get cheat meals and i'm like that's nice <laughs> <laughs> thumbs up that's nice good for you guys yeah you know but i just find it funny that it's like is that like a selling point because if one coach tells me, yeah, I don't really believe in cheat For meals. For a lot of people, it is. Yeah, I think for you, and they realize like they, some people prey on people's weaknesses. And if that is like a weakness for someone, they're like, what? He doesn't give you any cheat meals? That is crazy. I give my clients cheat meals. Come to me. It's, mine is a better approach. And then you compare the track record to the other coaches and they're just, they're just not there. You have nothing to back your method again. Now, if you're giving your clients a certain approach and it involves, I'm not saying cheat meals, you shouldn't have cheat meals. It, it has just, a purpose. You know what I mean? It has a purpose. Yeah. And in yeah. my opinion, more than anything, more than often it's, it's mentally, because if having that cheat meal is going to just, just temporarily stop, stall your progress, but will allow you to keep pushing harder perhaps than the previous week, then ultimately when you look at the long-term results, it is going to benefit them, right? But now if, if you're making progress, if there's no reason to believe that you need a cheat meal, even mental, and you just have a little bit of a moment of weakness, it's probably just a temporary search for gratification. And bodybuilding is about delaying gratification. That's why just because you work hard one week, giving you a cheat meal, that's just not how it works, man. Like that is just not a reason to have a cheat meal. It's just, you know, and, and a cheat meal is not going to make your physique any better than having the same amount of calories with, different sources of food or higher quality food now i will say there's certain instances especially closer to a show where 
uh, junk food, so to speak, or a cheat meal in that regard, maybe the best approach. And for example, that would be, let's say you are, you've been carving up with clean sources of food, a lot of food, you're still flat, you're still missing the mark. Maybe you feel fill up temporarily, but then you go back to flat, right? And then you're getting closer to stage time, you know, you, you, you're a couple hours away. A cheat meal would be a way of getting a lot of calories in with perhaps not as much of a food volume itself. It's a little bit more calorie dense, if you will. Yeah. That could do the trick and that could be beneficial in those circumstances. But when it comes to earlier than that, I don't think that would be necessarily always the best approach of doing it. Some people respond really well, you know, they, they have their methods and I have mine. Well, and that's just it. Everyone's method is different. I, just, I think that's the silliest selling point for anybody. Mm -hmm. But again, everything is perspective and opinion. And I respect the methods of others. So I'm just saying from my own personal opinion, if you try and come up to me and say, hey, I give my athletes cheat meals, I'm going to say, no, I don't really care. <laughs> and someone so, that has you know now experience like you do someone that understands the process and why it is that we do things you just you just can't help but look at them you know blank face be like what's your point what are you trying to accomplish with that is this is this your selling point is this how you get clients because it is the dark side yeah yeah it's, it's <laughs> if it is if that is how you get most of your clients that is just a comment of the mindset of most of the people that go to you, which is very unlikely to be higher level athletes. So, well, that's, yeah, opinion. simply it speaks for itself. Um, but anyways, we are just about done here. So <laughs> Humberto, like always, thank you for a great conversation. I think we shot it well over the 45 minute mark. That's completely okay. More content for people to listen to for facet cardio, as they say. Yeah, if necessary, you know. Uh, show dates are approaching keep training hard disregard the uncertainty i promise you that staying within the plan staying in the structure in the structure that you have and not quitting you're not going to be unhappy regardless of the outcome whether the shows happen or not or they're canceled or not you're doing cardio right now go harder actually put more into it train train harder than you ever have before for yourself not for the stage, not for anyone else. Just prove to yourself that you're a stronger person than you started out to be prior to starting your prep. Just everything you do at this point should be for yourself and yourself only. So train harder, be more strict. Where most people are actually going to let go of the, of the gap, go the other way. Do the opposite. See how that feels. Surpass your limits daily. It's something that I tell myself all the time. Just something to keep in mind, guys, like, Again, Humberto just said it best. Do it for yourself and yourself only, right? No matter what the end result is, just try and surpass your limits daily. If that's pushing a little harder on the step mill you know, for that extra two minutes, five minutes, whatever, increasing the intensity, you know, you add a five pound plate to the bench to increase your volume or whatever, just do it. It's for you. It's for you to test your own limitations daily and keep getting better and better and better. Because at the end of the day, you're the ones who are going to feel great after. Um, but with that being said, guys, we are going to bring this episode to a close. Uh, we thank you so much for listening today. Uh, please, again, if you like this, share it on your Insta story. Tag us, Snapchat. You know, we have Spotify now, YouTube. Share it all, guys. It's what keeps us going. Anyways, thank you so much, Umberto. We will see you next week with our very special guest who we will announce shortly. All right, man. Have a great day. And thank you, everyone, for listening. All right.